All right, good evening. Take your Bible and turn to Jude, please. The Epistle of Jude. And there aren't chapters in Jude. There's just one. And so turn to the book of Jude. And our text tonight is just going to be verses 3 and 4. Let me just talk a little bit before we get to verse 3 and verse 4. And before we read anything else, I want you to just look at the, the heading. The heading says, the general epistle of Jude. Is that what you see in your Bible? That's what mine does. If, you, if uh, it's not inspired scripture necessarily, the heading there. Um, but you should say that. And you say, okay, the, the general epistle of Jude. Um, we ask, what is an epistle? And most of you probably could give the basic meaning of that word, and it's simply a letter, right? An epistle is a letter, and we note that Paul wrote lots of epistles, especially to churches. Uh, the letters he wrote to the church at Corinth and Thessalonica and churches of Galatia, etc. Um, but the, the word epistle uh, can also mean a writing that condemns, approves, or directs the conduct of the church. So that's a, that's a really good definition of an epistle, a letter. And so we note that as we start here that Jude is writing an epistle. It's a writing that condemns, approves, or directs the conduct of a church. Now, you ask the question then, okay, so what is Jude writing about? And we don't have the time to break all of that down tonight. But let me just summarize it for you. Jude was writing this letter as a climax to what had been prophesied concerning the end times and what things might look like. And, and so we can take a look at some of this. If you turn over to 1 Timothy, by the way, let's stop before you go there. Let's read our text verses before we go to 1 Timothy, okay? Verse 3 says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares. Now, the word for, it can mean because of. And that's what Jude means when he's writing here. He says, it, uh, it was needful for me to write this to you, to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith because there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And so you get an idea of why Jude is writing this letter. To condemn, approve, or direct the conduct of a church. And he says, I wanted to write about the common salvation. I wanted to write a joyful letter to you. And praise the Lord for this salvation. But it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you earnestly contend for the faith. 
Now, again, Jude's writing this letter as a climax to what had been prophesied concerning end times. Let's go over to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Keep your place here and look in 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to be talking tonight about earnestly contending. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And look in verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. And notice the words, the faith there. You're going to see that a lot as we walk through scriptures tonight. Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. And he goes on to talk about how it's sanctified by the word and by prayer. But Paul says in the last days, in the last times, the Spirit of God has spoken. And he said that there's going to be some who depart from the faith. And not only that, they're going to give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Paul told Timothy, this day is coming when people are going to depart from the faith. You got that? You follow that? All right, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, and look in verse 1. This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Note this, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So Paul says to Timothy again, here's something else that you need to know. That in the last days, perilous times are coming. And there's going to be people, not only just, uh, you know, there are going to be people who are just full of ungodliness and full of this world, but there's also going to be people who have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. There's going to be people who are ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so in 2 Timothy, Paul gets even more bold and to write this declaration that the coming trouble in the church would actually be from a specific group of people. He describes them in verse 5. He says they have a form of godliness. They would be religious people. They would be involved in religious ritual. They would be accepted into the church. They would be looked upon as good people. They have a form of godliness, but they would know nothing of the power of God. Their lives would be destitute of God's working. They would be religious people, but unregenerate people. He says also in verse 7 that they would also be the kind of people that would always be learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. What do they learn? 
They learn systems. They learn ideologies. They learn man's way of thinking. But it seems that the truth, the actual truth, does never find lodging in their soul. Paul warned of the arrival of these kinds of people. Paul wrote 1 Timothy in approximately 61 A.D. When he wrote 1 Timothy, he said, The day is coming. He reiterated that warning in a much more stern fashion four years later when he penned 2 Timothy, around 65 A.D. Around that same time, the Apostle Peter cried forth that this was all just around the corner. Go to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people. I'll wait for you to get there. You need to, you need to see this. Chapter 2 and verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in, or privately, bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction, and many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of, and through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. So around the same time that Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy, and he says in a stern way that the time is coming. Peter, around that same time, cries forth and he says, it's right around the corner, it's coming. There's going to be false teachers among you too who are going to bring in these damnable heresies. And then you come to Jude. And Jude, something was written between 70 and in 80 A.D. So you see the timeline that's going on here. And I want you to note something in Jude, in verse 4, and where, where, where Jude says, For there are certain men who've crept in unawares. Do you notice that? He states it emphatically. There are certain men who've crept in unawares. In other words, what Paul said was coming... Peter said, is hovering nearby, and Jude announces, it's already happened, it's here. The apostates had now crept into good churches. Churches that were once able to trace their beginning to the Lord Jesus Christ and the apostles. They were no longer apostolic, they were becoming apostate. Jude who was unable to write a praise and thanksgiving letter about salvation, was now under the direction of the Holy Spirit of God to warn that churches were in trouble. Specifically, in Jude's day, Jude was warning of a group called the Gnostics. The Gnostics believed in antinomianism, and the prefix anti, it means against, the root word nomai means law. And so you get this antinomianism, which means against moral law. 
And the teaching was that man is under no obligation to any moral law. Um, we see that doctrine being taught in many churches today, and it's taught in this fashion. Because a Christian lives under grace, he can live any way he wants to because God's forgiven everything. And he's under no obligation to follow any particular standard or morality because God's grace forgives all things. That's a very seductive and dangerous uh, uh, philosophy and teaching to adhere to. That's the background of what Jude is all about. But let me ask you this question. Who exactly is Jude writing to? Well, we saw that it was a general epistle, right? A general letter. Um, Jude is not presenting this treatise to any particular local congregation. And so we can safely assume that God directed him to write this and preserve these 25 verses for instruction to New Testament Baptist churches in general. That means it applies to you and me. Amen? And now remember, Jude wanted to write about the common salvation. He wanted to give this letter of, of the wonderful grace of Jesus Christ, but instead he was instructed to plead for the saints to earnestly contend for the faith. That phrase, the faith, it means very truth itself. In other words, Jude was instructed to write to Churches, it applies to you and me that you need to earnestly contend for truth. Not just generic, a generic truth or a generic faith. He says it's the faith once delivered unto the saints. The word once is the Greek word hoxpa, and it carries the idea of once for all, once for all time. In other words, it's not a faith that is different in 2023 than it was in 1923 or 1823 or 1523 or the year 123. It's not a different faith. It was the faith that was delivered, truth delivered once and for all to the saints of God. And he says you need to earnestly contend for it. You know what the word earnestly means there? It means warmly, zealously, importunately, eagerly, and with real desire. You need to fight with real desire for truth. The word contend, it means to strive Struggling to oppose. Oppose what? Oppose the things that are against the truth once delivered. You know, if something is true, it does not change. If it's the truth, it doesn't change. And throughout the rest of this letter to churches, we see Jude pleading with churches to contend for truth and against apostates, those who fall away. How do we define an apostate? An apostate is a person who's professed to accept the truth, trust the Savior, and turns from it or falls away from it. And so Jude says, I need to exhort you, brethren. Churches are in trouble, and you need to earnestly eagerly, with real desire, strive and fight for truth itself. Truth is under attack. 
And I'm telling you, friend, the devil is very, very busy today. Whether that be in your own personal life or in the lives of churches or in the life of this church, the devil is very busy to try to destroy truth or to deceive and cause people to stray and wander and fall away from truth. So I want to look at three things, three thoughts tonight concerning earnestly contending for the faith. I'm going to see three things here. We're going to ask the Lord to help us tonight with these, and may they encourage and challenge each and every one of us to our own responsibility. And by the way, did you know that the Bible says that the New Testament church, the Lord's church, is to be the pillar and ground of the truth? Not one person, the Lord's church. So we're going to talk about three things, and your, your part and my part in contending for the faith. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd help us tonight and you would charge us and encourage us and challenge us. And may our hearts be tuned tonight and engaged with your word. May our minds be engaged. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen God's people through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. First of all, consider the reason. The reason to contend. This is the first thought concerning earnestly contending for the faith. The reason to contend. If you look in verse 4, we find where Jude says, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men. The reason to contend, first of all, is because of the apostasy that already exists. The apostasy that already exists. Friend, we live in a day right now where more than ever, the things of God are questioned. Whether it's in your life or in churches, the things of God are questioned. And I'm saying even simple truths, simple truths that should be in concrete in a person's life, they're being cast aside or they're being questioned all the time. I told you a story I probably a, a long time ago. I had this friend who, who was a dear friend of mine, and, and I thought that we believed the same things. But uh, as time went on, and, and as I found out, we don't actually believe the same things. And what I'm referring to is I'm referring to this book right here. And one day we were having a conversation, and he said to me, basically, um, why are you a King James only guy? I was like, what? What do you mean, why am I a King James only guy? It's the only version in the English language that I believe is preserved and uh, the, the pure word of God. What do you mean, and why am I? He's like, and he starts questioning it. And it turns out he has been for a long time. And I was floored and I was blown away. And I was like, what are you talking about? This is how you grew up. This is what you were taught. You know it's true in your own life. How could you question whether or not the King James is the, is the word of God in the English language? There are no other versions that come from the same set of texts. They all come from a, from a, a, a heap pile and false manuscripts that, that, from people who were God-haters. I was like, well, you don't think... God can speak through other versions of the Bible? I said, well, let's test that. How about you do a little experiment here, friend? 
why don't you set your own? He said, I use the King James, but I'm just not like, I don't, I don't believe that it's like King James only. I said, all right, why don't you set your King James Bible aside for an entire week, have your devotions, you study it, whatever you want to do, and you see how much God speaks to you from another version. He wouldn't do that. Well, I don't need to do that. But it's just an example of how things that should be in concrete in our lives are being questioned or being tossed aside. There's apostasy that already exists, friend, and that's a reason to fight and contend for truth. Or how about other doctrines of the faith, like the Lord's church and the authority that Christ gives to His church? How about that? It's being questioned and it's being tossed aside by men's agendas and men's thoughts and men's opinions And it's cause and reason for God's people to be on guard and to earnestly fight and contend for truth and for the faith. I had a man just tell me today, in fact. <laughs> I was asking him a particular question about how things were going. and He told me, he said, there's some bad things that have happened. There's some people that have been hurt. There's been all this other stuff going on. And the, and, the, and the mantra of the day is, you know what? Things have just been so hard and things have just been so confusing. And, and we should just love everyone. And we should, just for, we should just forget all of the past. And we should just move on in love. And he said it sounded like an ecumenical you know, camp going on out there. And he said, he said, the problem is you're talking about unity at the expense of truth. You can't have it. Not at the expense of truth. But that's the kind of thing that goes on in this world and even, even amongst those who say they stand on truth. But they don't. Not in practice. And we live in this day where things are being questioned all the time. And the arrogance, the arrogance of some today, who, and of my generation or younger even, who, 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 who think that they understand truth in the real heart of God better than those who've gone before us. The arrogance. You know what Paul said to Timothy when he was instructing Timothy, a young preacher, he said, Continue, continue thou in the things that thou hast learned and been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 14. Paul says to Timothy, You continue in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of. It doesn't change the truth. And so you continue in that. And then he says, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. You know what? I, I, used, to, I used to really give emphasis to Paul's statement right there. Knowing of whom thou hast learned them. I'm sure Paul and Timothy had a great relationship. No doubt. Paul was Timothy's father in the faith. He was his mentor. 
And Timothy needed to be taught and needed to be instructed. And Paul was his instructor. Paul, and also, Timothy didn't have the full revelation of Scripture at that point. He was taught of the Apostle Paul. And I've always given a lot of emphasis to that thought, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. But you want to know what I appreciate about the Apostle Paul? Immediately, Paul begins pointing Timothy right back to the Scriptures. He says in verse 15, And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. And then he says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's the Scripture that's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And it's the Scripture that is going to make the man of God perfect, Truly furnished unto all good works. You know what I appreciate about Paul right there? Is Paul points him right back to the scriptures. And I'm going to make an application here because, because here's what I think. Here's what I, and, and I'm just going to give you my opinion. All right, I don't normally give opinions. I'm going to try to stick to the word. But here's my opinion. My opinion is that we give too much credit to men. Praise the Lord for those who are faithful. But for us, friend, our real teacher should be this book right here and the Holy Spirit of God. We have a complete revelation from God. It won't change like men do. Praise the Lord for faithful men. And if you've been taught truth, praise the Lord for that. But it's right back here to this book, not what somebody teaches, not what somebody says. Confirm it with the word. It doesn't change like men do. The scripture is what's profitable for you. Listen, don't listen to what I say. You go back to this book and find out if it's true or not. Amen? Apostasy doesn't typically happen in a very brazen way. It gradually happens. Something unnoticed. That's why Jude said there are certain men who are crept in unawares. Unaware to who? Unaware to you. You understand? They've crept in unawares. Why is it unaware? Well, why does it happen in churches now? Listen, I'm telling what I'm saying is we guard against the creeping in. We guard of, uh, against being unaware by knowing this book and knowing good doctrine. Because when something doesn't line up, we can sniff it out and say, hey, something's wrong with that right there. How do I know? Because it doesn't line up with this. That's not what I know this says. Amen? You guard against the creeping in. In your own life, you guard against the being unaware by knowing this book and knowing good doctrine. That is your job and your responsibility. If everything is spoon-fed to you all the time, and you don't take personal responsibility to know doctrine, be very, very easy to be swayed by men. And especially men who are dynamic and persuasive. Right? The reason to contend is because of the apostasy that already exists, friend. And may the Lord help us, keep us on guard and watching and fighting.
for truth in our own life. Don't let it slip. Know the book and know doctrine. Secondly, I want to consider the reaction to contending for the faith. We have the reason. What's the reaction for contending for the faith? Well, it varies. If you skip down, go to Jude again, and skip down to verse 21. Verse 20 says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Note verse 22. And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others, saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. What is the reaction to contending for the faith? Well, it varies. Some are going to embrace. Jude says of some, some of these who, who may fall away or who might be erring, he says, have compassion and make a difference. You know what? We have a responsibility to contend for truth, and we have a responsibility to try to help others to stay the course and see the truth. And some who might be drifting might have enough of a humble heart to realize, hey, I'm getting off track here, and you can make a difference in their life. That's the hope for contending, that the apostate or those who are erring from the truth would listen to the defense of the gospel, turn from their sin, do the right thing. That's the goal. Amen? But that's not always the way it goes. Sometimes there are those who will just examine. There are some who will hear. There are some who will mull things over. Maybe they'll mull over the decision that should be made. Maybe they'll mull over their own circumstance or situation. I want you to turn to Titus because Paul gives some sound advice to Titus here. Some instruction to this preacher as well. In Titus chapter 1, in verse 9, he says, Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies, this witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Paul gives some, Titus some, some good advice here in, 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 uh, regarding those who uh, might be turning from the truth. He says, hold fast the faithful word, that they might by sound doctrine both exhort and convince the gainsayers. And he said, there's a lot of people out there, unruly guys, whose mouths need to be stopped. And he says, they need to be rebuked sharply. 
Why? So they may be sound in the faith. And then he says, don't give heed to those commandments of men that turn from the truth. That's some pretty sound advice. But then he says in chapter 3, in verse 10, he says, a man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition, reject. So you make an effort with sound doctrine to try to convince so that they might be sound in the faith. But after the first and second admonition, if they're not going to hear, he says, reject them. And reject them because of the damage that they are going to cause within the body. So some will examine. They'll consider, they'll mull it over, but that doesn't mean they're going to do anything with it. But then there's another reaction that sometimes happens, and some will evacuate. If they can't abide truth, and they won't hear it, and they get out, so be it. So be it. They'll come up with all kinds of accusations against the preacher or the church in general to justify themselves, try to tarnish the reputation of the church, etc., that's what they'll do. But the Bible says in 1 John that they went out from us because they were not of us. If God's church, friend, is going to be presented as a spotless church, we need to do our part to protect the church membership as much as we can. And part of that is earnestly contending for truth. And then we can leave the rest in the Lord's very capable hands. It's His anyway, amen? It's been said that good doctrinal preaching is going to separate things very quickly. It'll show the truth, and like turning on a light, it's going to cause the cockroaches to scatter. Now, I don't think people are cockroaches, don't get me wrong. But that's what good, sound doctrinal preaching will do. And it'll divide. Truth is exclusive, friend. It's exclusive. And we have a responsibility to line ourselves up with the Lord because He's the one who's given the truth. The truth will cause some people to get out. Look at 2 Timothy 4 again. Look at verse 3, 2 Timothy 4. And verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry." Paul says to Timothy, the time is coming when they're not going to endure sound doctrine. The time is coming when they're going to turn away from the truth and be turned unto fables. But you watch in all things. He said the time is coming. But I'm saying the time is now. That time has come. And you and I need to be sober and serious-minded about guarding and protecting truth in our life, 
and in their church. What are the results then? The third thing. The results of contending for truth. First of all, contending for truth will actually strengthen the saint. You know what? If you know what you believe, and you know this book, and you know doctrine, and you are sound in the faith, there's nothing that can shake that in you. There's sort of like this subtle confidence about you that's founded in Christ and founded on the truth, and it causes you to actually grow in your own faith. You know the times when you actually have to take a stand on something? And you don't let fear win the day? This isn't right. It's not true. Well, what if we have these relationships? You know what? We ought to be more loyal to God and His Word than we are to men. And you have to take a stand on something or it challenges you. Are you sure that that's what the Bible says? Man, I better make sure. And I go back and I look and I, I understand the doctrine. like, no, I'm pretty sure that's what it says. You know what? That challenges you to grow yourself. And it strengthens you in your own faith. I remember as a, a younger preacher, there are things I thought I believed. I was taught those things. But you know what? When the time came, and it was in the Lord's timing and the Lord's providence, I was very challenged in a couple of areas. Now, why do you believe that again? Is that really what the Bible says? And I was forced to go and study the Word and come to some very strong conclusions that were a bit different than what I was taught. You understand that? I'm a stronger saint of God because I was forced to get into the Word of God and come to conclusions from God, from the Word of God and the Spirit of God for myself. You know, when you have to take a stand on something and maybe fear inside is telling you to be quiet, or what will people think? Or I'm going to be judged? Or this or that? We stay silent. We actually weaken ourselves. But when it's something that is right and something that is true, according to the Word of God, we have a responsibility to stand for truth. Amen? The church is to be the pillar and ground of the truth. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes telling and explaining what the will of God is for God's people. And he says in Ephesians 4 in verse 13, Till we all come in the unity of the faith, there's that phrase again, the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth, or from here on out, be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, 
even Christ. You know what God's will is? That you and I grow up into the image of Jesus Christ. How do we do that? Through the truth. That's God's will for you to be strengthened. And contending for truth is going to strengthen the saint. Secondly, contending for truth is going to solidify our faith. It'll solidify our faith. Back in Titus chapter 2, if you were to read the whole chapter, what you'd find is that Paul is instructing Titus on instruction that he should be giving to churches. And he shows how we should live and the relationships that we ought to have inside of the local New Testament church. In verse 1, he says, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. So here's what you're supposed to speak. And he goes on and gives this instruction. Now I want you to go down to verse 11, though. And this sums it up. He says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, contending for the faith, uh, aligning yourself with sound doctrine, because that's what he talks about in those verses, and we didn't read those verses. But he said all of that would teach us that how we ought to live in this world. And it's all part of earnestly contending for the faith. And the question is, for you and for me tonight, number one, are you aware? Number two, are you fighting? Are you fighting for truth in your life? Or are you easily tossed to and fro? It's a struggle. It's a battle. The war for truth is on. Satan is very, very busy right now. Maybe it's because the Lord's coming soon. But you and I ought to have a desire. I'm going to hold on to truth. I'm going to know the Bible. I'm going to know the Word. I'm going to be sound in doctrine and in faith. And by God's grace, I'm not going to let it slip. In the last days, they will not endure sound doctrine. In the last days, there's going to be a great falling away. May the Lord help us to stay faithful. Amen. Guard truth in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'd strengthen us. Lord, help us to see the seriousness of it. The soberness of it. Lord, that we can't just float along. We can't be spoon-fed everything. We have a responsibility to know the truth, to know this book, to be sound in doctrine. Because there's a fight for truth itself. And how many people over the ages once stood on truth, but over time, things creeping in, changes in the way we think, changes in the way that we operate, drifting farther and farther away from the line or from the truth of God's Word until they're 
just a shell of what they used to be. Or they're not even around anymore. How many? Countless, countless, countless. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see the seriousness of it. That we need to be on guard. And Jude said to these people, I wanted to write about salvation, but I'm under the instruction of the Holy Spirit of God to exhort you. It's needful. And Lord, I pray that we would feel that burden. And Lord, I pray that you'd protect us and you'd guard us. Lord, you'd be jealous over us. Lord, that we'd not stray to the right hand or to the left. Thank you for giving us your word. That it's a straight line, that it never changes. And all we need to do is align with it. May that be our heart. And Lord, at the same time, Lord, may we not be self-righteous, may we not be proud ourselves, but be humble in spirit. Lord, by your grace, help us to stand. In Jesus' name we pray.